It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, financial feminists. Welcome back on a very special day because today is our very first bonus episode of this round of this season. We are bringing you six episodes a month normally. I know. What what a value. What an exciting time. Six episodes of Financial Feminist a month. And every once in a while, we're also going to release a bonus episode. Sometimes it might be some extra bit of conversation that you've never heard. Other times it might be a mini deep dive on a topic of interest to you all. Today is an extra special one because I'm introducing you to someone you're going to be seeing and hearing a lot more of over at Her First Center K. If you found Financial Feminist randomly through the podcast charts or because a friend recommended it to you, you might not know that Financial Feminist is just one part of the company I founded called Her First Center K. And if you followed Her First Center K on something like Instagram or TikTok or our Facebook group, you've seen so many incredible discussions and posts about various different financial topics, right? And one of the things that we keep getting requests for more and more is different kinds of information, different kinds of content. And since we launched Financial Feminist, which actually, fun fact, we are recording this May 17th. We launched the first episode of Financial Feminist a year ago today. Very exciting. What's happened since we launched the show is our international audience has only continued to grow. And if you're listening and you're not based in the United States, hello, welcome. We're happy you're here. So we want to be able to serve this audience, serve you all in the best way we know how. And because I am an expert, but really only on personal finance issues in the United States, we are so excited to bring in some new voices to her first 100K, especially voices that are diverse and from different backgrounds. And so I'm excited to introduce you to Mallory Rowan, who is our first HFK creator. You're going to be seeing a lot more of her content around Canadian finances, real estate, managing money as a couple, building a business over on all of the Her First 100K socials. Not only is Mal one of the smartest business people I know. I am so lucky to call her a friend. We talk a little bit about how we met in this episode. Maybe you've even taken part in one of our collaborations. Mal and I have collaborated on workshops around building businesses. Actually, these workshops are still accessible at herfirst100k.com slash products. We built an entire, what we call the business bootcamp around how to start and grow a business, especially online. And we're so excited as a team at Her First 100K to be able to start bringing in different voices, different perspectives. And today is that day. Today is the day it starts. So if you are Canadian, if you're interested in growing a business, if you're interested in real estate, again, there's so much value that Mal provides. And so you're going to be seeing a lot more of her uh, around these parts. Mallory is a serial entrepreneur, real estate investor, content creator, and resident Canadian. She'll be joining us periodically over at Her First 100K to offer her unique insight into marketing, real estate, managing money as a couple, and Canadian finances. When Mal was 22, she built a global multi-six-figure e-com business on a student budget. 
They started scaling incredibly fast, but she quickly found herself completely burned out. And as a result, she started losing her hair, getting unexplainable rashes all over her body. And she didn't even notice she had pneumonia until a doctor heard her trying to catch her breath. So now she helps entrepreneurs build without burnout. More specifically, she helps them skip the burnout entirely, work less, but actually start earning more and doing it on their own terms. She has been featured as a Shopify master, a Lululemon ambassador, and one of United Way's people to know, and is also, of course, one of my very, very favorite people. Today is a get to know you episode to introduce you to Mel and to her story. We have a couple more parts that are more specific and more actionable coming later. So this is a tiny taste of all the nuggets of wisdom Mel has to offer for our community. Again, I'm so excited to introduce you to someone you're going to be seeing much more of. And let's get started. How are you doing, man? It's so good to see you. I know. I'm good. How are you? I feel like we haven't talked. You've been talking to my team lately more than you've been talking to me. <laughs> I know. And like, so I think this is the most I've talked to like different people on your team. Yeah. Yeah. Like multiple people at once. I know. Well, now we're like 13, which is crazy. This is crazy. It's been wild. So our audience has continued to grow more international. And as I have mentioned, of course, you are based in Canada, you're Canadian. And I I think a lot of people don't understand that personal finance, probably like 80%, 90% can be international, but there's that like 10% where it comes to like investing and real estate and all of these things that are very specific, not just by continent, but by specific country. A lot of people go like, what about Europe? And I'm like, you need to be more specific. Like every single thing is very different. And it's hard enough for me to just keep track of the United States financial system, yet alone every single country's. So I'm just so excited. Uh, you know, you and I have known each other now for a couple of years, call Mel a good friend. And I'm just so excited to have our audience be more introduced to you and your expertise. So thanks for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I was going to say pandemic makes everything weird, but I feel like we must have known each other for like five years. Well, I think we must have met in like 2018. So yeah, it's been at least four years, which is crazy. That's wild. I mean, 2020, you know, 2020 to 2022, that's not real years. Like that's just a period of time. Yeah. So Obviously, I know a lot about your story, but I want to I want to go back because you and I, I think, have very similar trajectories. So what did you go to college for? What was the original plan when you graduated? What happened next? And what was that kind of journey for you about what you thought you'd do with your life professionally? Yeah. So I went to university here. I went to school for journalism. And then when I was maybe going into second year, I think I picked up a minor in business. And so I knew even going into journalism, I was like, okay, I'm either like an MTV host or I'm like not in journalism. Like it was kind of like, (laughs) you're either so far in it or you're not in it at all. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And journalism is an interesting industry because it's one of the most truest to like climbing that ladder still of like, if you want to be the news anchor at six o'clock, like you're going to write the fire newspaper story about like the fire down the block. I mean, to work your way up for years. And so I didn't have like that love for journalism, but I had the love for like the multimedia side of it, like the writing, the video, the audio, and just like the resources and network that came with it. So 
in journalism school, I got to learn how to edit audio, you know, how to make good quality video, all of these really, really useful skills for honestly anyone in our generation. And then in that process, I started working in marketing at the same time. And that's where I decided, you know, it was kind of just validating what I already knew that I was always in love with marketing and like the business side of stuff. Like even in high school, like I planned our prom, I did the grad merch, I planned like all the charity events. Like I loved both sides of it, the marketing, but I also loved like figuring out the profit and stuff like that. So once I had that first job in marketing, I'm like, you know what? I do love marketing, picked up the minor in business and just kind of went from there. So I really didn't know like for sure where I'd end up, but I think in my head, I was always gonna be like a high level exec at a company. That was my thing is I wanted to be, yeah, VP of marketing by 30 at some sort of company. That was the plan for me too. A hundred percent. And that meant that you made it. I wanted to win a 30 under 30 or 40 under 40 on some corporate list and, you know, that kind of side of things. Luckily, I always say like our school was really great for encouraging entrepreneurship as an entire school and then also within business. So I had entrepreneurship classes and that actually in those classes, they pushed us like, hey, don't make up some fake product. Like if you have a business or you want to start a business, work on that in this class. And that was really what pushed me into my first business, which was our powerlifting apparel. And in that period, I kind of shifted from full corporate world to startup world. And like, I loved that. I loved the more casual. Like I've never understood why we have to be so stiff in corporate jobs, you know, like it was just never for me. So I went more that startup route, very like Nerf guns, bunch of 28 year old dudes kind of thing. But then I found like with that, I'm like, oh, cool. I get like this flexibility and freedom, but I have all the like founder pressure, but I'm not really getting the founder benefits. Like it was my mom that kept being the one to push me to be like, you've like cried too many (laughs) times about this job for something where you're not getting like a very big piece of the pie, you know, like, so she's like, this is too much for like what you're really getting, which also started as an unpaid internship. Like there was a time where I'm like stressed about this job and I'm not even getting a dollar, you know? And then it, it wasn't till really that class project that kind of pushed me to bring this thing to life. And I ended up starting it with my training partner at the time, Josh, that, you know, he was now more than a training partner. (laughs) We did the awkward, like, let's just be friends, but let's start a business together when we were like clearly probably already in love with each other, but just not ready to (laughs) see it. But yeah, we started it and we just started with like one t-shirt launch. And then I just feel like it's like fast forward and I'm basically here, you know, I really didn't see that like entrepreneur path until it started. And then it really was just like one launch at a time. One of the things I think that we first connected about is we had a mutual friend and I, I've, you know this, but I've been an admirer of what you've built for so long. Like Mal is so good at marketing. You are so good at marketing and you're so good at storytelling. And I think one of the things that unfortunately stood out was you built this business with Josh and it almost killed you. Like it legitimately almost killed you. So can you tell us what that was and what happened? Yeah. So this was, I would say like Pete Gary V is a good way to like encapsulate those years, you know, like he was hot, but that was like the overarching, I feel like cultural theme for a while there, especially in the startup space. And so that really got the best of me. I also, in hindsight, like part of why we started our powerlifting apparel company was because we were in that community ourselves and we wanted something that represented us. 
But it also meant being in that community was that I was competing in powerlifting, which was really hard right. on the body. I've always had like weird body things. You know, I joke like Josh is super bad because he could take a flight to LA and then hit like a new squat record. Whereas I'd be like, trying to warm up on squats and being like, what is happening with my body? So like, that was really hard. Which is totally normal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm like a little bit on the, the more sensitive side than normal body wise. And then Josh is like the hardcore other, which was, you know, its own dynamic because I was being like, what's wrong with my body. But, um, that period I was working full time. I was still working a corporate job. I kind of went corporate startups, and then back to corporate as like a sell my soul temporarily to build this business. So I was working full time, then doing my startup essentially full time. I was still competing in powerlifting, which that's like three hours of training in the gym a day, not to mention you're like counting your macros, like cutting weight. Yeah. So uh, my body just started deteriorating. And like, because I've always had weird things with my body, I feel like I didn't notice at first, like, it's normal for me to like get a weird rash. And, you know, I've always had eczema or asthma. So stuff like that would come up, but it wasn't until I went to the doctor for like, literally, I think it was like a birth control prescription or something. And then she was like, um, your lungs are disgusting. (laughs) And I was like, oh, true. Like she was like, I'm going to send you for a chest x-ray, but she's like, you definitely have pneumonia. And I think that just like spoke to how in it I was, that it was like such a buildup. And I was just being like, what's wrong with me? I should be able to hustle like I did last year or whatever. And um, I was just literally falling apart. Right. And keep ignoring it because the pursuit of that, right? Is it's like. Yeah. And I've always had, you know, I've always been asthmatic. So she's like, when did your cough start? I'm like, I don't know, like years ago, but she's like, no, this is like bad. That was when like, it actually took like a few rounds of prescription to try to deal with that. And then even after when she's like, your pneumonia is gone. I'm like, I still sound like shit. Like I could hear, I remember I took a video and it sounded like my lungs were purring. Like it was so gross. Oh, wow. Well, and your, your hair was falling out too. Like I remember, I remember that of seeing those photos. Yeah. Yeah simultaneously that yeah that started happening and that was really hard because I mean I am like this is my natural hair color so as much as it's like super blonde it also means like super fine and thin so for me I already have thin hair so for it to start thinning was like so hard to especially when you're in a space where you're like showing up in photo shoots and online all the time and then you're like I don't have like enough hair to cover that right Right. Using social media to run a business while also being, you know, while also lifting. Yes. And that was like a tough part too, is that intersect of the community. It was so great to be in that community, but then I kind of felt like this pressure, especially since Josh and I were strong lifters in Canada. Like it was like, okay, I got to keep competing and I got to keep breaking records or like keep trying to get for first. And so that pressure on top of it was kind of like, I, I got to the point where I'm like, okay, my body needs a break from the lifting but I can't like let people know that. Right. And that was like a really hard period for me because it's like, is, you know, my community going to be affected by this? And also like, is our revenue at the end of the day going to be affected by this? Like, I can't really just stop lifting when what people loved about us was that we were lifters in the community. So that was a lot of pressure to kind of unpack. Now, you know, your work, I think, is largely impacted by that story. You're really focused now on how do I help other business owners build a sustainable business that's very anti-hustle, 
What does anti-hustle mean to you? I think for me, it's like asking the question of what do you actually want? And then constantly refining that to like, what does that mean? Because I think so much of the hustle culture, as much as we have this whole self-care culture, you know, that's really come through the last few years, like there's still so much, I mean, hustle culture is just capitalism really like turned up. Right. So like, it's not like capitalism didn't go away. Right. So I think (laughs) you don't have to say that quietly. It is a hundred percent capitalism. It is capitalism to a T right. It's telling you your worth is in your productivity and you can't take a break. You can't rest. You're lazy if you rest. Right. Yeah, totally. Right. Now we're just being sold resting products, right? So it's like not much better. (laughs) Yes. But I think it's really about like asking yourself, like, what do I actually want? And then like kind of taking off that defense mechanism and being like, do you actually want that? Right. Because people will say, oh, I want financial freedom. Right. But that's because that's what they're told as like an entrepreneur, maybe just anyone to chase. But then even within that asking like, well, what does that mean to you? Like what actually is financial freedom? Like what do those two words really mean? Because they can be drastically different. Someone can feel financially free at 20,000 a year in income. If they're like living in a cabin in the woods and have everything their heart desires and someone else might not feel financially free, even when they're pulling in 2 million. Right. So it's really hard when we're chasing these arbitrary goals or realizing like, I don't even care about financial freedom. Like what I care about is flexibility to pick up my kids every day at 3 p.m., right? So I think really breaking down those goals and seeing like, do I care about the thing that I'm striving for? Because that's gonna be more important than anything else. And a lot of the time when we get that answer, it gives us permission to kind of slow down. And I think we're always chasing something of like, okay, when we're 60, this is what I want. But at the end of the day, something could happen tomorrow too. So it's like, is there a way to get what you want later now? Like if you want to be able to spend time with family, yes, we can try to build you a business that, you know, gives you income in a capacity that you can do that nonstop later. What if now we prioritize, okay, well, I'm not going to work past 5 p.m. because then I can actually have my evenings with my family, right? Or I'm going to do more trips to visit my sister or my brother or my uncle, right? So looking at like, what is that thing you actually want? And then asking yourself those layers deeper of like, do I actually want that? Or is it kind of like capitalism telling me that I want that, you know? (laughs) Right. That I should want it. Yeah, totally. But it's kind of like the narrative, especially in the States, we hear that like you have not financially made it until you're a homeowner. And it's like, for a lot of people, that's a not accessible and b not what they want to do. Like, you know, you have had, you have multiple properties. I do not own property. Like, you know, what are you told versus what do you actually want? I think is, is very, very, very important. And for people listening, like figuring out again, like what sort of narratives or things were you told you're supposed to want? And do you actually want those things? Yeah. And to your point, Mal, like, is it just sneaky capitalism telling you, you should want it? (laughs) Yeah. And along the way too, we have to learn a lot of this ends up being personal development and boundaries too, because you still have those other narratives from like, your parents, right? I remember when I was going to quit that corporate job to do my t-shirt business full time. Like I prepped my mom and my sister for months being like, things are going really well. I think this is what I'm thinking about doing. Even though I could have just gone in and ripped the bandaid off, I knew that they needed that prep so that they would be a little less shocked at my system because it's not shocking their system, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll talk about this on future episodes and I've talked about this a bit. When I was about to quit to run HFK full time, 
my parents, very well intentioned because they've always, you know, chosen the stable option, were like, no, you need your health insurance. You need like you need your benefits. You need your stability. Like you can't quit. Like you need to do everything you can to make this work. And I was like, I have. It's not working anymore. <laughs> like it's just not working. I I didn't expect to bring this up, but I think one of the things, of course, you and I have, you know, collaborated and now are continuing to collaborate professionally. But also, of course, you know, we've we've been, you know, and grown really close as friends. And I think one of the interesting things that's happened is, I mean, you've been running businesses longer than I have. And like you, you have been established and grown shit. And I think, you know, eventually like we got to a place where we were probably at similar levels about like following revenue, that sort of thing. And then you purposefully put the brakes on things, at least in like how you were growing. And I, I know you personally well enough to know, again, all of the things you just talked about, it was like really craving more of that rest, more realizing that like, do I actually want the things I'm chasing or am I okay just having, you know, a six figure business that pays the bills? And I think the answer for you is yes. So can you talk a bit about your process of realizing like, maybe I don't need to chase all of these things I thought I wanted and it's actually like, okay to, to like lessen the, the ambition that's pushing you to do things that don't feel comfortable anymore. Yeah. I think, like I said, with the other thing about that defense mechanism, I find like, you know, we always think about being defensive with other people, but we're often defensive with ourselves, right. Of being like, no, I've always wanted this thing. And like, or I haven't made it until I do this thing or, well, it can keep growing. So why would I ask it to stop? Yeah. Right. So like, I think that's a big part that I've had to do just in my own personal development of being okay with sitting there and like peeling it back a bit and being like, why did I want that thing? Right. And sometimes you even have to like kind of mourn that. I remember there was a period where I actually talked to our mutual friend, the angel herself, Alexis. She's on the podcast, Alexis Rockley. We were all in a mastermind group together and it was the favorite. It was like peak entrepreneurship for all of us. We would meet, I think, what, a, once a week for a while there. For, yeah, a couple of months, we would just meet and talk about like, yeah, growing businesses, what our struggles were, how to support each other. It was so good. But yes, Alexis. Yeah. I, I remember having like a, a sidebar with her because I'm like, it's so interesting because the way that you were enthusiastic about certain things in your business and what you wanted, I'm like, whoa, that Tori is like a version of me that existed that I am like no longer. It was hard for me because you get those like kind of creeping in thoughts of like, oh shit, well like Tori's posting three times a day on TikTok, should I? And then I'm like, okay, but you want different things now, you know? And Mal, if I'm honest with you, I look at what you have and I'm like, looks really nice. Like it looks really nice. Right, and that's the thing, there's no right or wrong. There's no, I think we see success as really like this, literally like, um, I'm trying to use my like rocket ship or stratospheric. Like it has to. Yeah. Yeah. Or like literally like a linear graph of like whoever's make making the most is like doing the best. And then we put that on ourselves of like, well, I could make more, right. I could show up more online. I could go that route, but if it's not feeling aligned, like, I think people don't realize that, that, you know, as much as one version of me, totally wanted to be the like Tony Robbins thing. There's another part of me that did not want that world. And that part just grew more and that's okay. Right. And I think realizing too, like for me, a big realization was that nothing has to be like a permanent choice. Like, because I'm somebody that's always loved to switch hobbies, right. Bored. 
Mal, say that again louder. Nothing has to be a permanent choice. Like, I think, I think that's such a temptation as we like try something and it's like, we're committing to something forever. And there's this like false narrative that you have to find your passion. And it's like, it's like, guys, that's the whole point of life. Like, especially I, you know, I have, I have now like college grads who like reach out to me and they're like, what advice do you have? And I'm like, my biggest piece of advice for you is it's like everybody asking you, what do you want to do with your life? That's not the question. The question is, what do you want to do next? Like, what is the next thing you want to do? Yeah. Statistically, it's definitely not going to be your forever thing. Right. But like you figure out like, what did I like about that? What did I not like about that? Like, I love what I do now, but who knows? In five, 10 years, I could be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, or I want to pivot. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, I think sometimes people go, oh shoot, I built this thing and now I don't want to do it. That's exactly what we did with LVD, right? We grew it to a point and then kind of went, oopsies, I don't really want to make t-shirts and I don't really want to be in powerlifting anymore. And like, I was young and we were allowed, I mean, at any point you're allowed the oopsies, but it was just realizing kind of that moment of like, huh, I, we were in that phase of being sold. Like, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? And you feel like you find it. And then one day you wake up and you're like, oh, it actually didn't, it wasn't a permanent decision, you know? And I think that's a really big piece. And for people who are multi-passionate, like that was a big learning experience for me because I wanted to like dissect people's brains who like found their passion where they were like, I've always known I wanted to do X. I'm like, tell me everything about that so I can like go find my thing that's around the corner. And when I just accepted, like there's not a thing that's waiting for me, man, the doors that it opened because you're just willing to like try different things and to actually listen. I've had a lot of knowing similar how we talked about the growing, like I've had times where I'm like, God, I know if I launch this way, I will make a lot of money, but everything in my body is like, I don't want to launch that way. (laughs) And sometimes you have to challenge yourself and go out of your comfort zone. And then other times it's okay to go, you know what? I've tried it that way. And yeah, it worked. Did I feel like myself? Did I love it? No, but that's okay because I can shift and I can find the way to do it. That does feel really good. I think that's one of my favorite things about having you and Alexis in my life is she has been forced to slow down. Right. And like in a really beautiful way where, you know, I talked to both of you and I remember there was actually one time, I think we, Alexis and I were trying to figure out if we were going to relaunch our course we had built together. And I really was like, we have to launch it during like new year, new you time. And she's like, well, I don't want to do that. And I was like, I understand you don't want to do that because it's like Christmas and whatever, but like, that's the time where it'll sell really well. And she's like, I understand that. I understand, but I don't really want to do that. <laughs> you know? And it was just like, it's such a beautiful, just like, but I, I, that doesn't feel good to me. So I don't want to do it. Like, regardless of if it's going to make me $5,000 more in revenue, like I just don't, I don't want to do that. And I think to what you said earlier of like, you know, I think it's really easy for us to like, yeah, compare our careers, compare our lives, compare our businesses And I think it's, I mean, this is, I can link everything back to the patriarchy. It's like seven degrees to Kevin Bacon. But like, I think it truly is like one of those things where, you know, it's told us that we have to be, especially as women in competition with each other all the time. Right. So it's like, oh yeah, if Tori's out there killing it, I also have to kill it. Right. And like, we are told that there's one seat at a table. Right. And it's like, okay, if it's one person doing it this way, then I have to do it that way too. And I really appreciate that you were like, you worked through that and you're like, I I don't want to do that. And I'm at the point in my business too, where I'm like, okay, is this actually, is this actually what I want? I don't know. Yeah. And I think it's like, it's good to ask those questions. Like always think, what do, what gets me excited right now? Like, what do I want to learn about? And what do I want to feel? And the, what do I want to feel can be 
like a short-term and a long-term. Like for me, if people are like, what's your 10-year vision? I just know how I generally want to feel down the line, you know? That's how I feel too. People ask me like, what's your 10-year plan? And I'm like, I hope I am happy and making a positive change in people's lives. Like, that's it. Yep. Exactly. I hope I wake up smiling. Josh was making fun of me the other day. I, You know, when you like wake up in the morning, you like kind of fall back asleep a little. So I'm like closing my eyes, sleeping a little, and I'm just smiling. And then Josh was like, what are you smiling about? And I was like, I actually don't know. Like I was just smiling. Yeah. And it was really funny, but it was funny because now I catch myself doing it all the time. And I'm like, oh God, that's just the feeling I want. I want to be like smiling even when I'm half awake, falling back asleep for no actual reason. Cause I was just like, Hmm, this is nice. I love that. That makes me so happy. I am so excited to share more of this episode with you. This is just part one. We have some more amazing topics like real estate and specifically Canadian finances. But unfortunately, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer for those. We'll be releasing more from this conversation over the next few months. And she just, as always, drops so much value. If you loved hearing from Mal, please make sure to follow us on Instagram at her first hundred K as she'll be regularly joining us over at HFK. And we've also linked all the places you can follow Mal and her business in the show notes. We're so thrilled that Mallory is becoming part of the team at HFK and I cannot wait for you to see what she's bringing to the table. We will be back on Tuesday next week with your regularly scheduled guest episode. So please make sure to subscribe, rate, review us, share this podcast with your friends and family and on social media. Help spread the mission of financial feminism. It means more than you know. Have a lovely weekend, financial feminists. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Financial Feminist, a Her First 100K podcast. Financial Feminist is hosted by me, Tori Dunlap, produced by Kristen Fields, marketing and administration by Karina Patel, Olivia Koning, Sharice Wade, Alina Helzer, Paulina Isaac, Sophia Cohen, Valerie Oresco, Jack Koning, and Anna Alexandra. Research by Ariel Johnson, audio engineering by Austin Fields, promotional graphics by Mary Stratton, photography by Sarah Wolf, and theme music by Jonah Cohen Sound. A huge thanks to the entire Her First 100K team and community for supporting the show. For more information about Financial Feminist, Her First 100K, our guests, and episode show notes, visit financialfeministpodcast.com.